Pitsill Racers and Rental Cars Podcast with your hosts, Top Fuel Cam, Cameron Foray, and his co-host, Mr. Top Sportsman, Don O'Neill. Keep on till they can't ignore you. Put it out for the Wigan Warriors. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Racers and Rental Cars Podcast, where we talk everything motorsports marketing related, the ins and the outs, the do's and the don'ts, the turning lefts, going straights, the rumors and the gossips. We are here to entertain you in the world of motorsports. So Cameron Frey and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for rating, review, subscribe, telling 10 of your closest friends, and let's get into this week's episode. What's up, West Coast Cam? Wait a minute. Cam? Cam. No, folks, Cam's not with us this week. Unfortunately, he is dealing with a personal matter. And that just means that you all are so lucky that you get to listen to my voice for the next 55 minutes. And that being said, let's kick it off. This week's episode of Racers and Rental Cars, we are going to have one of the longest tenured executives in the world of motorsports. Former director of motorsports from Coca-Cola, Ben Ryling. He is going to stop by and we are going to pick his brain about marketing, sports marketing, motorsports, and whatever else that we can scratch the surface with. But before we get to Mr. Riling, let's talk about what's going on this week. If, unless you have been under a rock, the social media world exploded this past Monday and Tuesday with the episode involving Mickey Thompson in Hoosier Tires. If you want to think about what it takes to get free social media impressions, all you need to do is go back this week and whether you on demand it or go to YouTube and just Google search it, you will see how the letters MT ended up on the side wall of a Hoosier tire during this week's episode and the internet exploded. So for both tire companies, they got huge social media impressions. Whether you want to look at it as good or bad, that is your choice. Whether you're a Hoosier guy or a Mickey guy. It doesn't matter. The impressions were through the roof for the past two days. I'm going to chalk that one up to sometimes any media is awesome media. So uh, thanks to the Street Outlaw guys to uh, stir the pot during the off season as we're getting ready to kick off drag racing and the 2021 season this week down in Bradenton, Florida with the U.S. Streetcar Nationals going on. A lot of pro mod teams on their way to test. A lot has happened in the circle track world this week as well as we've had some huge announcements coming out of Stuart Haas Racing, Cole Custer, a little bit of Dixie Vodka. We've got Colleg Racing. They've made some announcements for their crew chiefs, sponsors, that entire organization, you can go ahead, mark it down right now. February of 2021, I told you that the Colic Racing Team is going to be one of the next dynasty teams in the world of NASCAR. They are doing it methodically, one block at a time, and they are going to start having their name mentioned in conversations with Penske, Hendrick, RCR. You're going to start hearing the name colleague mark it down it's coming 
very, very soon. That also being said, we talked about good news last week, Cruise Pentagon and Snap-on Tools extending their conversation or contract, if you will. That was huge. Cruise has made a huge investment with uh, new personnel, new chassis, new bodies. They're still riding the wave in the media world with PR announcements and so forth going on. So good luck to Cruz and his venture in 2021 and beyond. And then we got to wrap it back up, right? We've had a lot going on marketing wise. We have not had a lot of announcements in the NHRA world. We're still kind of all hanging around on pins and needles. One of the uh, blocks, if you will, kind of filled itself in this week as Mike Salinas came out, made their announcement that the Scrappers Racing Team will be back on tour this year for 2021. And that means he's bringing his daughters with him so we could have a Salinas in a final in top fuel, alcohol, and pro stock motorcycle all in the same weekend. Now, would not, not be a historic feat as I'll have to go to the record books and see if that has ever been done in NHRA history. But that being said, with the NHRA history, let's get started with somebody that's got two decades of their history involved in motorsports and NHRA. And so, so just go with me here now if you're listening. I know some of you down there in Australia, you want to still send me hate mail about the world champion and it's being in the United States and that's okay. Keep those coming in. We had a great show last week with, with Phil and talking about the Australian guys down under. We'll have to get a funding program put together to bring them stateside to let them compete. But we're going to talk to somebody that started 20 years ago with NHRA and a brand with Coca-Cola. And we're going to try to fast forward through two decades of ups, downs, challenges, and what the, the lessons learned from a blue chip company like Coca-Cola and their involvement in not only NASCAR, but, but NHRA, motorsports as a whole. And so with that, the expertise, the experience, and anything else that you want to say that's in a positive manner, this guy is definitely a walking book that we're just going to try to soak as much information out of him as we possibly can in 45 minutes. But we're going to get him on the phone right now. Good evening, Mr. Ben Riling. Are you there, sir? Hey, John, I'm here. Good evening sir, to you. Well, thank you so much, sir, for taking time out of your busy schedule and coming on and uh, allowing us to try to just grab any amount of wealth of knowledge out of you to share with our listeners uh, during this uh, off season that's cold here in the Midwest. Uh, but I understand it's, uh, I think today it's a little rainy where you are. It is a little soggy down here in Charleston uh, today, but uh, you know, it's a, it's a good balance. It gives me a good reason to stay, stay put inside and get some, get some good things done. And as far as well, uh, up all my knowledge, I hope you have five minutes. <laughs> um, hey, we're we're gonna stretch your five minutes and make it forty five. Let's let's dive right off. You were involved with NHRA and Coca Cola at the inception of the Powerade brand, and we were talking a little bit off air beforehand. You said you got to start with a white sheet of paper on your activation plan for NHRA and Powerade. Give us just give us a little bit of what that felt like 
and what the objectives were for you as a, an individual leading a team into the world of motorsports and NHRA drag racing. Well, you know, so uh, I think I was sharing earlier. Uh, so November of 2001, I, I get called into a meeting in, at the Coca-Cola company. I'm managing a team of people, uh, a promotional team that worked on Powerade. And I'm sitting in this meeting and I had familiarity with the National Hot Rod Association. If you go way back in my history, I was working at an agency and I took about 20 race fans uh, to uh, the Winter Nationals out in Pomona on behalf of Anheuser-Busch Budweiser brand. And they were doing the radio media market tour. So I'm in this meeting at Coca-Cola in 2001 and they bring up this topic of, hey, we're going to be signing this deal with the National Hot Rod Association, which immediately took, took me back to that day of when I was sitting there and uh, just the the veracity of that uh, that sport. And But it was amazing that it was a best-kept secret, secret inside the Coca-Cola hallways because nobody had heard about this at all. And so it was literally mid-November, maybe mid-early November, press conference that we were going to hold, a media announcement that was going to be held on December 3rd, 2001, um, out in California. So we were quickly putting together just getting the press conference done and what, what that was going to look like, what that was going to take. Now, that wasn't my job. That was our media communications team. But I was along for the ride because that was the day of literally sitting back and we, we knew one thing. It was going to be the National Hot Rod Association Powerade Drag Racing Series. And that was really about it. And so, you know, working with the leadership team at NHRA, uh, pulling together cross-functional team inside the Coca-Cola company from brand team to our the, the promotional team that I was on at the time, uh, before I was actually asked to come in the sports marketing group, you know, our legal team, uh, our, our commercialization teams, et cetera, was just, all right, we have to, and agencies, we have to now put together a business plan. The look of this, what's this brand going to look like? Um, and we had to work quickly because for that press conference, we had to have all this stuff ready to go. And, uh, and so it was, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was, it was, um, it was enjoyable from the standpoint of, of taking something brand new and just kind of working with it. Um, it was also at the same time as like, you know, are we, are we heading down the right path or not? Are we doing the right things? How are the fans going to receive this? How are our bottlers going to receive this? Uh, the bottlers weren't even, you know, they some of the bottles were aware of it uh, in terms of the deal being done, but now we have to create the marketing tools that they need to take to take into the marketplace. Uh, we have to put together uh, a TV plan. We have to put together our radio support plan on that line. So it was it was a heck of a lot of fun, uh, and we had fun doing it. Um, but it was but it was a great effort pulled together both internally at the Coca Cola company, with our agencies, with our bottlers. And, and certainly with, uh, you know, Gary Darcy at the time at, at, at the NHRA uh, was there. And Glenn Cromwell was, uh, was in a little bit of a different role at the time. Uh, and a guy by the name of Joe Grady, who was probably, probably our savior of helping us get in there. He, was a, he worked like nobody's business out there to make sure that our first year of entry into the sport was, was well received. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I, I think I, the, the telling point of were we being successful or not, two instances. One was the very first race in Pomona where we debut our branding, our identification, et cetera, et cetera. And we did some immediate, you know, just some immediate feedback. Uh, people talking to fans and 
talking within the industry. And one thing that came out that uh, caught us a bit by surprise because you, you, you're working at the Coca-Cola company, you're, you're dealing with a brand Powerade that was still a young brand, but had been around for a while. And we had literally, we, one of the key points that was being made to us is we had fans wondering, where do I find this additive for my vehicle? They and and because of the association with the sport, there's a lot. There's many people who thought Powerade was actually something you would add into the fuel line or some. And so it was one of those aha moments. Like, okay, uh, we got to. We really have to think about this and take a step back, slow down for a bit, and come back out and and make sure we've got this this clarity in terms of it's a brand, it's a beverage brand, and on down the line. So it was it was a it was one of those moments where you say, all right, uh, we're we're not as mighty as we we might think we are. From the Coca-Cola company, but that's the great thing about the fan base <laughs> is they're you know they're not going to hold back and they're going to let you know and they're going to help you. The second key point then was sitting down in Chicago of that year, and we were able to lay out a five-year business plan and a five-year approach, and it was all steeped in this is who we are, this is what we want to try to accomplish for our brand, and this is why we're here is to grow our brand, but we also this is a partnership. So we want to do things that is going to help each and every one of you. So in that room that day, we're team owners, we're drivers, we're their marketing uh, people, we're the other industry sponsors, certainly members of the NHRA um, at the time, ESPN in that room. And it really was a concerted effort of like, this is what you're going to see us do in year one. If we get that done correctly and we are confident we will, this is how you're going to see us evolve year two, year three, year four, and year five. And at the end of the fifth year. We hope that you would look at us and say, "We want you back for another five years," and likewise, we would look at we would look at the sport and say, "We've earned value from this, and based on this plan that we've built, that you're a part of, that that's an easy decision for all of us to make." Um, and if we're not, uh, if we're not delivering for you, you have every right to tell us take a hike, uh, because we truly view this view all of our partnerships uh, that that we were managing at the time as 50-50. It needed to work for them as much as it needed to work for us. And uh, so that was a lot of fun, taking it from that piece of white paper, you know, identifying the branding, taking the branding to evolve it into a, a consumer message, evolve it into a bottler message that we needed to convey to them, and then and then putting it in, into action and, and into place, and working hard, working really hard to execute that and build up the relationships that we knew we needed to build up in that first year or two. Well, and that's so you did that with Powerade, and then we the next brand that I remember coming to the table was Full Throttle, right? I believe yeah. that was the, that was that followed Powerade. So you you legitimately reinvented the wheel. You know, you took that game plan and you brought it over. And now we're changing our brand, and we're going to do the same thing. And you guys did that, and then you jumped into the. Going, you know, at that time, we NHRA, we kind of figured, okay, we're going to get, you know, we've got the high, sports hydration drink, which makes sense, you know, because we're sweating a lot at the energy drink because, hey, that's horsepower and speed and it's extreme sport. And so all that ties in. And then we went to Mellow Yellow. And in that in that change, as you guys continue to go through where how far out, I guess, is in, in the question when did you say, okay, guys, we're in the next 24 months, we're going to make a brand change? What, what transpires behind the doors or during the activation at our events or around the country that says, okay, 
it's time for us to make a change. Is it, what, what transpires in there to, to lead you in that direction with your team? Yeah, say, yeah, to, uh, Don, I appreciate the question because it's, uh, it is something that I look back on and as we were going through it, it was like, uh, it was a bit painful for us as well as for the NHRA, but there was always, there was always a method to the madness and, and the, yeah, the approach. So with Powerade and, and announcing with Powerade, I talked about the plan that we built. We executed that plan for four, five, five years, re-upped again with, with Powerade based on the fact that we were seeing the incremental growth. We were able to use information that would tell us, in the, especially in the race markets, the brand growth for Powerade was, was exceeding that of the national average. And naturally, it should to some degree because you're putting a little bit more emphasis for the brand in those marketplaces. Um, and at, at some point in time, though, you start to, are you getting to diminishing returns? Are you seeing an evolution in the consumer audience? And, and, and not from the NHRA fan base as much, as but the broad audience. And then you have a brand might look at their evolution of how they want to position themselves and, and uh, what they want to get accomplished. And so you see that um, and the way that uh, we would plan things out from a brand standpoint, because again, this it's sports marketing, but it's, you know, at the, at the end of the day, we're consumer marketers and brand marketers. We're, happy, we're using the medium of sport to do it, uh, to reach an audience. And so, therefore, you have to be beholden to your brand. You have to be beholden to the strategies that the brands has set and, and look at the consumer and, and the landscape of, of the brands uh, from, a, from a national standpoint. So we, we look at that, that opportunity and the whole time that, you know, it's like a brand doesn't wake up one day going, oh, my gosh, I need to be involved in motorsports. A brand, you, uh, uh, so full throttle starts to come into play. Well, you know, we own a brand like full throttle. We actually bought it as part of, the, as part of a, uh, an acquisition, but we take ownership of it. And now um, we have this, um, this, uh, this uh, brand coming in is – you know, what's the marketing effort look like for them? Is sports marketing a play for them or not? Is straight consumer uh, marketing a better play for them? And so we're constantly evaluating those. At the time, we were constantly evaluating those for every brand, regardless if they're really in the world of sport or not. And so naturally, um, a brand like Full Throttle coming into it, and as, as Power, we're starting to look at a different audience um, and a different marketing approach, we... we we could see that there's going to become a time that there, this asset that performs extremely well with a, with a terrific audience who appreciates brands that support and uh, their, their passions that they have, is there an opportunity? And it, so then it starts to evolve into a brand like Full Throttle who's looking for an opportunity to you know, increase its availability of getting the bottling system excited about it. Of reaching an audience that is uh, is more apt to be a its typical consumer and uh, and and welcoming and receiving it, and so that becomes part of that approach. And so we evolved from Powerade into Full Throttle. Um, I think if you asked the folks at the NHRA, Glenn being one of them, because I know he was there at the time, uh, twenty four months, we would have loved to give them twenty four months advance notice. It didn't necessarily always play out that way, because quite honestly. You know, that's a lot of assets for us to turn over. You know, we now right. have to shift where our bottling system, our customers, um, our internal teams have been used to. It's all about power. We're now shifting. That's that's easy for us to make that shift. 
um, you can you can then you know annually work into the business planning process that our creative materials are going to take a different look and feel, and our television is certainly going to take a different approach. Our on-site activation is going to take a different approach. Now that's that gets into a bit of you really have to plan that out well in advance to to do that um, effectively and efficiently. The same thing with the NHRA is giving them an advance notice. Um, seeking their input to, to some degree as well because again it's a partnership and we, they need to feel confident that this shift and this change is going to be good for them uh, and, and good for as well as it's, it's certainly good for us so yeah we, we plan that out they have to they have to change over a lot of their assets um, main gate at the time has to think about their inventory of merchandise you know on down the line is is a it needs to take a, a bit of time well thought out as best as we could uh, and again, it, it became down to how well the partnership was working that we were able to make that happen. But it was driven by a consumer, the consumer audience and what the brand strategy was all about. And so we, we had Powerade for a few years. Um, and then you brought up our switch into to Mellow Yellow. So again, we had success with, with Full Throttle. Um, it's a different, a different category. Uh, certainly similar to Powerade coming into the sports drink uh, category and the behemoth of Gatorade that was out there. Full throttles coming in, you know, an energy category that has the the behemoth of Red Bull. So it's always this um, challenger brand uh, mentality that we had to be clever, to be uh, agile, you know, to be uh, go getters uh, of, of finding opportunities and try to make them happen as best we can. And so with full throttle, we had success. The so again, you go back, you think about the, what I said earlier thinking about all of our brand portfolio and what brands are looking for and where's the opportunity may exist uh, based on the audience profile uh, that uh, that exists within the, the NHRA is we were working with and through Full Throttle uh, discovered that a brand like Mellow Yellow uh, that was looking to, to really restage itself and become uh, successful once again and it had great success. If you think back to its early days, it actually, its very first uh, uh, marketing endeavor was using the sport of, of NHRA, of drag racing. Um, and um, gosh, it's Daryl Gwynn who sent me a photo. The day we were making the announcement, he sends me a photo of his dad and, and Daryl on, on the set for a TV ad that was shot down in Miami. And it was Mellow Yellow, and it was using you know, the, the sport of, of NHRA drag racing as its a theme for its television ad. And... So it came as born, Melio was born out of the roots of, of racing. Um, it had uh, it had involved itself in the world of NASCAR as well, but it had through the years it kind of again as brands go, brands then venture into a, a different strategic approach, a different creative approach on down the line. Well, this at this point in time, the brand was really rethinking that it needed to reach back out and really endear itself to its core audience again, and so. Um, in, in, that, in the process of sharing that information with us uh, from a sport and entertainment marketing standpoint, we're looking at where the opportunities may lie. And quite frankly, it was almost, it was their, the consumer. The consumer of Maliella was telling us, you need to do this. Um, and so we, we followed the path of the consumer again. We followed the path of what the brand was trying to get accomplished. And when we made the announcement, I I can still see the look on some of the faces of the drivers when we're going from this robust full throttle drag racing series. The look was just perfect. The name was perfect. It embodies everything about what the sport is all about. 
and then we say the words mellow yellow. And and seeing the look on their faces initially was was interesting. And, and but you know when we take them to the standpoint of if you think about again from a brand and a consumer marketing standpoint, here's a brand that um, has more touch points. It's its ability to be more, uh, even a bit more family focused. Full Throttle is a great brand. It's a great audience. It's wonderful consumers. But now we have this opportunity to to use a brand that has you know myself being a parent, you know, and and offering my young young child a mellow yellow versus a full throttle is something that's a bit more approachable. And so we really we really thought we had a a great opportunity here um, based on where the brand had been, right? Based on the the opportunity of being a bit more family focused which is terrific for the NHRA because I think that's the one thing that I always, I always enjoy bringing out executives to the race is them seeing the, the diversity of age, the diversity of, of race, as well as the diversity of <clears throat> its families out there. And, and, and they're enjoying a day at the, at the races. Um, and so we thought it was a, it was a, it was a smart move for us. Um, and after the initial reaction of, of going from full throttle to mellow yellow, they're starting to become this, okay, there's, there's, uh, again, there's some science behind this and there's some art behind this as well. Um, and then, uh, the, actually the tagline, if you remember that we started to use from day one with mellow yellow of go on yellow and Sean Brown approaches us right after the, right after we tell the drivers that we're going to be doing this. So this is, bef- this is like the same time we're making the public announcement where we're walking the drivers and the owners through it. And Antron comes up and he goes, this is great. And he goes, he goes, cause if, you go on yellow. If you're, if that's how we have to win races. Is we see yellow and we're starting to hit it, and it was like one of those things. Where we we all started to smile and look around and say, that that's that works really well now, doesn't it? So uh, that that was actually the genesis of uh, of the tagline that we started to use of uh, go on yellow and used it for a number of years based on that that insight. But that was the so from Powerade successful years, uh, evolution, change in the brand strategy, a little bit of change in the consumer landscape. Leads us to full throttle, full throttle successful for for a number of years as well. But this opportunity to really go back and, and get back into the soft drink category with a brand that uh, was built on the roots of racing uh, and had the opportunity to speak to a larger group of, 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 of consumers as well as families well, led us to that evolution. Well, and also during that time frame, you guys, you guys being at that point, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola and NHRA, I, I really want to say at that point in 2001 to like 2007, 8, 9, started with a lot of exclusive. There was a lot of exclusive partners to the NHRA. The You know, you had more, uh, you know, official partner of NHRA or presenting official presenting sponsor, the official soft drink. And it seemed like, the NHRA world with the companies that the partnerships that they had, the exclusive funnel got smaller and smaller. There seemed to be a lot more control for brands and competition in the marketplace, if you will, in the pits of activation and so forth in NHRA. That was much different than the environment, if you will, on the NASCAR side. And so can you, because you had both sides there, because I remember being in the Army Zone at Daytona for the 4th of July race next to the Coke Zero activation space with the Army at the Pepsi 400. 
<laughs> you know, I, I, and so I, you know, in, in NASCAR, in, in, and I look at it from my side that, you know, I had the army and I'm going around, I'm doing all these different events with different motorsports, both NASCAR and NHRA. And over here on the NHRA side, we had a whole lot more uh, exclusive partners, right? There wasn't what we'll say, quote unquote, competition in the marketplace at NHRA events uh, for activation and sponsorships. But in the NASCAR world, it, it was, you know, that was the wild, wild west. It was, you know, you could have NOS energy drink at one end and, you know, obviously Red Bull wasn't there. And at the time it was uh, monster, but you could have monster at the other end or you had Pepsi and you had Coke. It seemed like the competition in the marketplace in NASCAR was much more welcoming, if you will, or, Hey guys, we're, we've got a, everybody can play here type approach. Can, can you tell me how you balance that on the motorsport side inside Coke between those two associations? Cause that had to be a, that had to be a serious teeter totter that you were riding. Well, you know, I, um, I look at it, I would answer it this way, Don, is, you know, on the NHRA, you have the sanctioning body, then you have teams and then you have the tracks, you know? Um, same thing on NASCAR side, you have NASCAR, then you have the tracks, you have the teams and drivers over there. <clears throat> With our relationship with the NHRA as being a series uh, sponsor, one of the one of the things that um, at that level you have you have the ability to command the exclusivity across uh, multiple beverage categories, and so the, yes, so therefore from the standpoint of you know our presence there and having an exclusive relationship with the NHRA and being at the series level relationship, you have a you have a bit more of a you want to call it a commanding presence. Um, so I liken it to, if you think about when um, uh, it was Nextel and Sprint uh, at NASCAR, and therefore yeah. you, you know, you know our, my my good friend Jeff Burton went through went through this uh, early on when he had Singular, and so it, I, I kind of mirror those the same way. The I think what you saw more evident on at NASCAR is the fact that you have so many entry points into that sport. And you have you have this you have similar entry points into NHRA. But NASCAR I think it's much more visible because of of uh, the the nature of, of the sport there. So you could have you could strike a deal with NASCAR League that gets you certain rights. And you could strike a deal with tracks that get you certain rights. And you could strike a deal with teams uh, and or driver that get you certain rights. Um, and so therefore that's, yeah, that's where you'd see, you could potentially see at back before the Coca-Cola company entered into a relationship with ISC now NASCAR, uh, track properties. Um, uh, you could see a, um, a Pepsi 400 race with likely with us across the street <laughs> at, at, uh, at the mall, I think right there at Daytona International Boulevard, you'd see it, you'd probably see Coca-Cola stuff over there or Coca-Cola stuff on private property. Um, you know, there's, there's certainly, there's the infamous story of, of a, a major Coke presence when we, when the company before my time, uh, everybody before my time, the C2, uh, brand was launched with uh, a number of C2 Coca-Cola cars that were in the date and the, and the Pepsi 400 down there in Daytona and the presence of Coca-Cola was just, uh, uh astounding, but yeah, you, you had much more of that going on in, in the world of NASCAR. Um, and, and I would tell you that, um, you know, when we did pick up the track, 
uh, that was, you know, that's part of the discussion about, you know, you have pouring rights with one or the other. And when it was at, where it was a Coke pouring rights, yeah, it was Coca-Cola exclusivity. Um, Martinsville. Yeah. Martinsville would have, would have been a track where that was a track we did not have. And Pepsi remained at Martinsville. So therefore, you know, they, they had their presence there. Uh, and we rarely, I think we would rarely ever, ever do anything in, in the, in the, near the track grounds at that particular event. But it was much more, much more uh, competitive. And I, and I loved it. I loved to talk, talk with um, my friends who are on the OEM side of when they made that, you know, they're going through their business challenges. They're beating each other up, you know, striking deals with this track and having to outspend that, that uh, manufacturer to get that track. And they finally said, you know, this is, this is, uh, this is kind of, kind of stupid. Let's, we work together. We can still do good things that are good partnerships. It's still good for the sport, but let's go compete side by side and, you know, we'll let, we'll let our brands and our vehicles and quality and service speak for themselves or whatever. And I, and I remember someone, someone asked me, Ben, do you think uh, Coke and Pepsi could kind of do the same thing? Like you guys would just reach an agreement to have both your brands available at each of the racetracks and things of that nature. And, and, uh, that was not the case, and I still don't think it would. I still don't think it would be the case today. It's an extremely competitive uh, environment. Plus, you think about the infrastructure of what you need to do in order to make your brands available at a large facility, a venue, stadium. It's a lot. It's a lot of equipment uh, that you really have to make that investment. You have to have that exclusivity to, to attempt to pay that off over time. So, um, you know. So again, NHRA, serious level sponsor. Um, Having exclusive in our category, and yeah, there were times that we had drivers come to us and say, "Hey, I have the potential of signing X, Y, Z, and et cetera. And you know, we'd be in a position that you know, unfortunately, that we can't allow that. And uh, but I would tell you, would tell you that we would we would look at them. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, if we thought that this could be potentially really good for the sport, and if it was more of a what I would call fringe brand or a fringe category. We might be more amenable to that, uh, and then certainly when we started our relationship with Monster Energy, there was uh, as much as um, Monster Energy may. I mean, I think we did enough. Uh, there was still the all right. We're part of the same entity now, and so therefore there's a little bit of a how can we work this out uh, and make sure that um, it's good for the sport, it's good for their brand. We still we still have our presence and our opportunities uh, that we want to try to continue to deliver and execute. And we were able to work things out like that. But uh, um, did that answer the question, Don, or do you have any? Oh, oh no, no, that's it, it. I know that it's, you know, mm-hmm. we all do, right? I, I would say those of us that are out there that were embedded in it, and it's part of our, our DNA of chasing the, the companies that, you know, you know, we talk about on the show, know who you are and who your market is, who your audience is, who you can personally yep. touch, who you can impact, right? And so... I, I mean, I remember, uh, and I have no problem telling the story, I, and I laugh about it today, but in 2009, or actually 2008, I had NOS Energy Drink on the Army car. And I remember being at Atlanta and having two individuals come up who will remain nameless, and they came <laughs> up and they said, they said, hey, you need to take your canopy down. And I said, why? And they're like, it's NOS Energy Drink. It's a Coke event. And I'm like, but they're my sponsor. It's in my pit area. And they're like, yeah, but you're on an end cap for everybody to see. And uh, we can't have that. And that, that honestly, at that moment, which I was probably only 
third, second or third year into college on my bachelor's degree in marketing at that point. At that point, that was an eye-opening moment uh, because I went back and I wanted to have an understanding conversation. And it is challenging, right? It has to have the same amount of challenges at the corporate level as the sanctioning body level as it is at the racer level for the teams, for us to be able to find companies especially in this day and age that have a glimmer of interest in motorsports and they're a competing brand to an official partner. Right. And so, and they're like, yeah, we'd love to do something with you. And it's like, but you can't, and you know, you can't, and you understand why you can't, but yet you're still sitting there trying to figure out how you can, because nobody wants to hear your no, or, you know, when somebody says yes, the last thing you want to do is tell them no. Uh, and so it's always been a challenge. And, and I, I have no problem, you know, admitting I would like for there to be a little bit of wiggle room to work around in certain areas. Uh, and that being said, I mean, we're going through it right now with Camping World. The, the, the company that I work for, they're an RV dealership and they're privately owned. They're not a Camping World location. But a company like Camping World and an individual like Marcus coming in brings more eyeballs to the segment of, of camping and recreational vehicles. And we, we welcome it uh, and was excited when we heard the rumor that there might have been a chance uh, because it's going to do well for the entire category of RVing, if you will. Uh, so there, there's always those challenges. And I think we hear about them. Uh, from other companies, obviously the huge speed bump that you guys definitely worked together on was Brittany when you brought out Monster. That was huge because we all thought, man, how is that going to work? Yeah, it's a Coke brand inside the umbrella, but we got full throttle. We have NOS Energy Drink, but we're going to let Monster in. And everybody was clamoring. You know that it had to be a significant research opportunity uh, to look at it from from top to bottom. And to hear you talk about it, and obviously it happened and it transpired, and obviously it's still going on in NASCAR. Those are tough challenges. Uh, I think it's tougher in the NHRA market because of the exclusive than it really is over in the NASCAR world. I think it's it seems to be from the NASCAR Xfinity truck um, down through the, the series that it seems to be that there's more open competition uh, for sponsorships over there than, than we actually have on the NHRA side. Would you, what would you say to that? I, I would agree. I would agree. You know, and, and so I, this is, uh, you know, so I was born and bred, you know, Coca-Cola, you know, I started in 1998, exclusive agreements, you know, category, protect the category, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, and this is where, this is where I give a lot of credit to, to Mitch Covington and, uh, and the folks at Monster, you know, look, look at their, look at the Supercross series. They have no, you know, it's like, I'm sure it might irritate them, but you know what? They, they take a, they take a different approach than we were taking at the time at the Coca-Cola company. Uh, you know what? It's good for the sport. And you know what? We'll compete against them. You know, we'll compete against them on the shelf and we're going to compete against them out here on the dirt. And may the best, uh, may the best brand and the best team win. And I, I give a lot of credit for that because I think that, you know, um, I think there is a lot to be said for allowing uh, the marketplace to determine and 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 uh, and play out there, where whereas we did. But yes, you're right that you know the um, the competition within. I mean, even 
even some of the deals that I struck in the world of NASCAR with teams, you know, over a period of time where we may have commanded exclusivity with a team, you know, be it a Gibbs or a Childress or on down the line, um, Roush, et cetera, et cetera. At some point in time, the way that uh, with sponsorship dollars not being as, 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 as available as they once were, everything being challenged these days, there's fewer of those dollars. And with our approach, you know, at one point in time, we, we could probably easily look at them and say, yeah, you can't have any other beverage company. Over a period of time, we had to take a look at ourselves. And these were difficult conversations to have with the quote-unquote old guard, um, albeit there were several people who were part of that. And, and you might be laughing. It's the old guard had a tremendous amount of respect, actually, at the end of the day. There were, there were a couple of really leading people that said, hold it, these are partnerships and if we're again if we're bringing the value to these teams to allow them to go out and compete um and they have an opportunity to go out and bring in another partner that's not going to distract from our program it's not on the same car it's not on the same driver by gosh you know that's probably what's in their best interest and you know what that's also in our best interest at the end of the day too because we are we we can now really focus on our on a core uh, core elements of the, of the program and so yeah it's a it's a, some really good difficult creative conversations you have um, you know this is a uh, one of the things that uh, I've said before yeah when I've when I've when I've talked and and, and there's several people that I know in the industry uh, who we often lamented on the same thing is we probably spent more time internally pitching and selling and having to reinforce why we were doing things in the world of NHRA or NASCAR with this team or with that driver, with this track. We probably were doing that more internally focused than we ever really should have, but it was important because most of the challenging, most of the challenging questions we got were always internally from uh, whether it's the finance team, whether it's the legal team, whether it's the brand team. And you know what? They, they have the right and they need to be looking at that because they're looking at these investments from their perspective. But, you know, majority of the time I was selling internally more than I was selling externally. And uh, that's just the nature of being in, being in a role like, like I was inside a, a big, uh, successful uh, company that's run soundly by really smart people who are asking really smart questions. And to me, kept us on our toes. We really had to be thinking about the strategy. We had to be thinking about the analysis. We had to be thinking about um, uh, stewarding these results uh, internally as much less externally. And then sometimes having to have really difficult such uh, conversations with some partners that sometimes you had to let, you may have to end an agreement um, and bring close to an agreement. Not, it wasn't personal. It was, it was business. And it was a true testament to the power of relationships of how that might get managed. And, uh, and it's, you know, by my nature, I, I don't like disappointing people. I just, it's just who I am. It's, uh, I, I, I hate that part of, of, of making somebody else disappointed. And so having to have those conversations never came easy. Uh, but you know, if you have a, if you have a, uh, a human to human conversation, uh, and you've treated them well throughout the, all the, all the years of the relationship, ideally that, that, that difficult relationship, you know, uh, may, may be immediately received emotionally and, and it might be difficult, but, uh, there's, there's also that time where it, it comes back around and, and, um, 
and so I think that's that's just part of you know of managing things internally and then having to be that that face or that voice to go externally and whether it's talking to a league partner or track or a driver or a team and having to have that conversation sometimes. Well, let's talk about that because like anything that goes on, right? We all, we all clamor and we struggle and we grind away because we want to get a deal and we want, you know, we all want to be successful. We want, we do want to have the partnership and the relationship aspect. We want to be successful for them. We want to be successful for ourselves. Uh, We don't want to let each other down and we want to see that through. And as you say, some agreements come to ends and with you, you spent 20 years doing motorsports at Coca-Cola and recently our NHRA deal ended in that agreement. Now, the one thing I couldn't find when I was doing research was, was NHRA's agreement with Coca-Cola, was that the longest running motorsports agreement that Coca-Cola had? Or was there another one that, that stood a longer test of time that I just couldn't find? Oh my gosh! Uh, the Olympic relationship is from 1926, I believe. Well, um, okay, yeah, you got me on that one. <laughs> so, but within, within like, was even with the landscape of motorsports. I mean, certainly 1998, first year of the the official relationship with NASCAR. Um, okay, and and if you if you and and, and the great thing about a business uh, like uh, whether it's Coke or it's Pepsi, it's Anheuser Busch. You have your headquarters. You have your national teams. And then you have your distributors, your bottlers who have, I mean, so our relate, relationships exist within motorsports that go back even further back, probably into the 50s, I think, or 60s, I think it is, um, where a local bottler may have been doing something at a local racetrack for, you know, maybe even beyond that. Either way, uh, 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 the the longest, you know, NHRA was, was great, you know, first year, first official year, 2002. Um, you know, I look at, I look at it, uh, uh, there's been a lot of people who've been involved in it and, it, and by no, by no means was it just me. And if actually if it was just me, it probably wouldn't have lasted as long because a lot of smart people were involved with it. Uh, a lot of talented people, a lot of passionate people, both internally and externally. And, um, and so it was good, but yeah, uh, NASCAR 98, uh, with the, with the start of the NASCAR relationship, um, you got Olympics before that, um. I would even imagine maybe even FIFA World Cup is uh, might even be longer than that. But in the states, it certainly it certainly is one of them. Absolutely, yeah. But uh, now you're but um I was kind of looking at it from the standpoint as the title title partner. Oh. You you're, you're in motorsports because NASCAR obviously has had Nextel and and Sprint and, and so forth along those lines, and of course NHRA had Winston. Uh, prior to, but as far as being the title partner in motorsports, that that's that's kind of where you guys had pretty much had your title. That was in NHRA. Did you have? Was there any other regional series that you were longer affiliated with as a title sponsor? I'm glad I'm glad you bring this up. Next time I'm having to talk to people, I have to remember this. Uh, the NHRA Powerade Drag Racing Series was a first for the organization okay, to take on relationship so part pardon my part my missing on the question earlier but absolutely right absolutely um okay and it's, uh, again it's 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 something that uh, I'm, I'm very proud of to be a part of the group that helped put that together for the first time ever for the company um and 
and to see it blossom and grow. It's like, yeah, it's, I look at it as, uh, not to be too sappy here, but it's like, it's like a baby that, you know, you, you help this baby grow. You, you see it grow into where it's, it's crawling. And then we started to walk and then we were running with it. And, you know, yeah, we stumbled a few times here and there. We, we made some mistakes, but for the most part, it, a uh, longstanding relationship at a series level like that is, is, uh, is, uh, is, is something to be extremely proud of for sure. Well, now you obviously have moved on. You're doing your own thing in the marketing world. You're sitting there and someone comes to you and says, Ben, I'm going to tell you now, you can look back three years and we're going to leave. Coca-Cola is going to leave NHRA. We're going to go do something else. Are you sitting there at the table saying, yes, that's the right thing to do? me leading the company or that's the wrong thing to do and you feel like the process has run its course and it's time to move on what what are you from an executive position how are you consulting or advising at that point you know if uh yeah if you go back in time um we were still you know to me there was still a lot of uh success that was happening um in a in a partnership any any sponsorship and marketing relationship. Uh, so if, if you're you know you're you're striking your deal with Army, um, NHRA had one with us. You know uh, they had they had them with multiple others. We had we had them with multiple others. There's always a point in time where you know uh, a, the business relationship may come to an end, and it's and it's not it's not the other party's fault. It's not even. Uh, it wouldn't even be our fault per se. Um, it's just, sometimes it's just a you know it's the transition of uh, we are as as we talked about earlier when we shifted our brands. There's a change in the lands consumer landscape. There might be a change in the in the um, brand strategy uh, overall uh, that that takes place that sometimes are just well outside the control of of everybody. Um, as I was evaluating, uh, so my last year with the coca-cola company was 2018 uh early part of that year um we had just we were just we had just announced a a, a renewal so it was very much you know this is um it's an asset um it's a great audience um you know we in all honesty it was never about the television uh audience on the television ratings it was really about our ability to go in with our work with our bottlers to Drive availability, drive sales, uh, bring out key customers, entertain them in a in a extremely um, uh, just a, a great environment uh, of just power and excitement, and that was it was it was much a B two C as much as it was a B two B play for us, and so therefore that's how we evaluate things, and uh, and that was still that was still going uh, strong. A lot of challenges uh, that we also face in terms of the economy uh, and how how the economy hits hits us all you know especially the you know the, the race fans you know that you know who are who are putting together their vacations around race weekends and things of that nature and when that when that uh, starts to become difficult for them that makes it difficult for everybody it makes it difficult for the track the track promoter for the series you know for the racers who then have to try to go convince their sponsors uh, from an attendance standpoint you know, and those who did pay attention to more, more, I should say, more attention to TV, you know, and the impact that that has. Those are those are all things that, 
you know, it's like, what's that classic line? It's like control what you control. And there's very, sometimes there's very little what you can control. And so focus on that, focus on that immediate circle. What can you do uh, today? That's going to make a difference for your, for your business partner. I would look at it from a standpoint, you know, today, what can I do to make sure that the NHRA is stronger? What can I do to make sure that our NASCAR relationship is stronger? And we would ask the same thing of them. You know, the, the line we would often use is, you know, wake up every day and think, well, how can you help us sell one more Coca-Cola or one more Melody Yellow or one more, you know, full throttle or, you know, on down the line? And that's, you know, because you can't, you can't control the weather. You can't control what the economy is doing. You can't control what regulations are going. You certainly can't control a pandemic. And all those things can unfortunately impact us all. Uh, but three years ago, we, you know, we, we were working through a renewal because it was, uh, it was working well. Um, and we were finding success. You know, was it perfect? No, I don't think. I'd, I'd, I'd love to have somebody come on your show to talk about the perfect sponsorship relationship. Because if it is, you're probably, you're, you're probably not pushing hard enough uh, on one side or the other. And, um, and so that's, that's, why, uh, you know, that's why I would look back at that time and say, you know, it's, it's, it's a good thing to do. There are, you know, but like I said, assets are, are partnerships that are beholden to consumer uh, marketing, brand marketing. Uh, the strategy that goes behind all of that, um, and and sometimes it can last for a long time, and sometimes, you know, they the relationship just didn't work out. Um, you know, we we and I I, I managed one of those uh, uh, through my career at Motorsports there uh, with IndyCar. Uh, um, you know, the it's nothing nothing against Indy. IndyCar is a great great sport. You know, wonderful audience uh, on down the line. But when you have, you only have so much bandwidth. You only have so many resources to put into action. And when we were already knee deep into NASCAR and had a healthy NHRA relationship, um, the ability to go and have a bottler do one more motorsports execution in marketplace, where maybe several weeks, if not a couple months before, they were doing something else. They have plenty. We have plenty of other assets in our portfolio at the Coca-Cola Company, both nationally and locally. It's our. It's my job sometimes to tell a partner who's approaching us that I. It's not. It's not. It's not your proposition's bad. It's not that your audience is poor. It's not. It is literally, you know, we are already setting our strategies, and I'm. I'm. I'm going to look at you two years down the path, and you're going to look at me and say, Ben, you aren't a good partner to us, and I. I don't want. I don't want you to be in that position, and I don't want to be in that position. But, it's it's the truth, and I'd rather I'd rather tell the truth to somebody who's approaching us where it's not going to work out um, uh, up front as much as it's difficult to tell people that where it has been working, but yet for reasons outside, well, outside of their control, we are, we, we're, we're going to be making a shift. Well, and that happens and we all go through yeah. it, right? And we, if you're in motorsports and I really shouldn't say motorsports, if you're in marketing, you're going to have partnerships that are going to you know, come and go. I mean, just even if you wanted to look at it from your local level of minor league hockey or summer league baseball or whatever the case is, those uh, those boards on the side of the rink or the outfield fence, they change on a regular uh, because partnerships come and go. Uh, and so with that of being able to hold on to partnerships and improve, I want you to think back to the, the lowest level that you possibly can and and let's give our listeners who are out there grinding, trying to improve their program, 
three simple things that they just that from your perspective of experience as they try to reach out through their their local bottlers their their local relationships the grassroots efforts of the regional level what what can they do to be impactful for for themselves and that type of business segment in their community or in the region what would be three things that you would tell them these are what you need to focus on because it will benefit you down the road well you know i think the the very first one is and and it goes for whether you're talking to a local bottler or you're you're sending it on uh, something into the atlanta headquarters office just study their business you know what are their what are they trying to get accomplished uh how are they doing it? Um, you know, what are they? What else are they doing in their marketplace, uh, in their community, and really understand? You know, that gives you a glimpse of how they think, how they, why they might make certain decisions. Um, that allows you to, when you go in, you're informed. Uh, you're coming in with a, uh, a, a understanding their business challenge and hopefully a business solution to that, what that challenge might be. So a lot of it is just. You know, that's that to me is up front is just know who it gets back to what you said earlier. Know know who your audience is. Know who your audience is when you're selling, and then know who your audience is when you're marketing and taking and going back out on their behalf. Um, so I think that is that's uh, so critical uh, and, and key. Um, you know, I think as I as I look at it within uh, the world that I lived in at the Coca Cola company, you know, so, sometimes sometimes those decisions are are made locally. Um, but many times they're not, um, and, uh, understanding that where, who has the decision rights ultimately. And so a bottler who is focused on their focus and their energy is about availability, getting their displays up, making sure that the planograms are correct, make sure that the pricing is, is reflective of what the pricing is supposed to be and making sure they're never out of stock. That's those are some core things that the bottler is really involved with. It becomes more of, from the marketing standpoint, that becomes more back into, linked back into the headquarters at a company like the Coca-Cola company or, or regional office. So also understanding that dynamic of like, all right, who is who is going to be making the decision here? And is there a regional office that uh, is going to be is going to be the people that I really need to get in front of? Um, and then how, to, and how, how would you use a bottler to assist you in getting in front of them? Uh, I think that's... Uh, uh, that's critically important. Um, and know that at a local level, um, you know, they, the, the, so this last one I'm going to say is 50-50 done. At a local level, there are, there are going to be people who are more in tune with how do I sell more? And they're not, they really, it's not that they don't care, they're, but they're not thinking about the brand and the brand's image. That's that's a job for the brand team to do. That's a job for North America to do. My job is to, my gosh, hit my numbers. And my numbers are about selling and selling as much as I can. And how do I do that? Well, yes, I'm doing, I'm going to do that through, how do I sell more inside a, the convenience channel versus the grocery channel versus the mass market channel versus Walmart, dollar stores, et cetera, et cetera. But also, what are they doing in the marketplace? Um you know, this is, uh, uh, yeah, I think I, uh, I was listening when Alex Schreiber said it as well. Like, are they trying to introduce a new brand? So, therefore, what new brands are they coming out with? By gosh, that means, you know, putting cans in hands so that people can sample a brand. And how 
is that something you can assist them with? And whether you're a team and, a, and you have a car or you're a local local venue, like what can you do to, to be a system in that execution of the plan? Uh, uh, because I think it get, to me it gets back to if you understand who they are, how they make their decisions. Uh, again, logos and presence and things of that nature um, may not be the highest priority at the local level. It'll be more about what can you do to help me sell more, sample more, you know, being, you know, helping to draw traffic to my retailers by, yeah, if you want to bring your car out there and or set up a booth at a store that might attract some people in or give some people another reason to say that they visited XYZ location. And boy, when they were there, they got a chance to see this vehicle and they got their kid got the chance to sit in the, in the seat and hold the steering wheel and see the engine. Those are things that you might be able to do at that local level that assists somebody at that local level of endearing themselves to their retailers. And that can go a long way. The tricky part is what's the, what's the value to that? What's the value to them? And what's the value to you? Because you, you're in business and you're trying to conduct your business as well. And so what's that fair equitable exchange of, of money? Absolutely. And that's, I mean, I tell the story all the time. My first sponsor was a local grocery store and I was the clown. They did a community <laughs> event once every quarter and they, all they wanted me to do is bring the car out, let the kids sit in it, take pictures. And they took care of me for, for food and gas every week so I could go racing. And so, I mean, there again, it's the smallest thing in the world locally, but it was impactful for them and it helped me. Uh, and yeah. so ultim- ultimately across there, you work on your brand value and your brand image as an individual, uh, just as much as you are for them uh, as a so, business as well. So you probably, that, was, that was probably more of an in-kind donation. You're gonna Absolutely. Some, you know, and that, that, that to me is also, it's, it's like anything, anything I would do in, in a, in the business environment today, you look at, what are you trying to get accomplished? What's it going to cost you? Are there other are there par- partners who can bring me that value in exchange for something else? And that's if you can whittle away at how can you get things done without uh, without um, as much money as it is the in-kind donation can go a long way because you never know what what door that can open up for you as well. Absolutely. It's way easier to, I, I mean, I did it when I started. I mean, being in the army, you only have a certain amount of money and it was just an expense sheet. And this is what this costs. And this is what this costs. And the easiest way to, to whittle away at your expense sheet is not have to spend money and be able to acquire those items or you know and so that's that's how you start and it's way easier to get product than it is to get a check always is way easier you know (laughs) and so and we would structure those we would structure those into our agreements and you know um like we would structure an agreement with whether it's a majority of the time it was with the teams and drivers and that was you know yes there's it takes hard money for them to go racing and we want them to compete um and yes we're a beverage company so we can help you out with the beverages for your team um but it was also the you know what kind of value and the thing that we pride ourselves in especially on the with the coca-cola racing family is you know we would feature drivers in their in their race uniforms we wouldn't require them to put coca-cola on and strictly be coca-cola you you would see ryan ryan newman back in his u.s army uh uniform you'd see tony and his race you'd see on that line and there's a value to that and you know how do you position that value of um, this is the team can take this back to their sponsors and say hey because xyz driver is part of the racing family 
look at these are the point of sale materials that they're going to produce and are going to be distributed nationwide. This is just much more visibility for you on down the line. And it's it's about you know really looking at and getting creative with your relationships and your partnerships. Then on the NHRA side as well, more so with the broadcast partners, more so probably even with uh, ESPN uh, uh, in the early days of sitting down and understanding that they're trying to put on a compelling show. Absolutely. The compelling show is are the vehicles and the drivers. It was we, we were not the compelling part of the show. Powerade as a sports drink was not the compelling part of the show. But what could we do that creates um, what kind of content could we help create with the ESPN and with the NHRA that would um, showcase what it's like to come out to a race? It's fun to come out to a race, you know. Yes, you can go watch vehicles go down the track at high speeds, and then you can go back and you can watch them thrash on the engines for a bit of time. You can go to the midway area and, and get inside a a, uh, a funny car simulator that you know we put out there. We would run competitions. But it's like, how, do, how can we work together without spending more advertising dollars? How do you put your dollars to work in a different way? That allowed the NHRA to get their benefit out of it. ESPN got a, a bit of benefit out of it as well in terms of you know having a little bit of a different uh, personality to their, to their broadcast. And, and at the end of the day, it's, it helped, hopefully helped bring out a few more fans along the way. And what you did it without having to spend a whole lot more money. Um, you know, we launched a specific NHRA Powerade uh, drag racing bottle and flavor. And we did that 100% through the NHRA. The NHRA fans voted on the packaging design. We put out uh, at least two different packaging designs. They voted on the one that they wanted to be their their Powerade uh, NHRA flavor. We concocted a new flavor. Uh, it wasn't just an off-the-shelf flavor that was already existing. It was something distinct. Um, and ESPN loved it. They said, "Hey, let's let's focus this. Let's make let's make this a feature uh, inside the broadcast because." It's cool. It's a it's a, it's compelling content that talks about this sport in a different way, and uh, it can it can gap fill where vehicles may not be going down the track or or otherwise. And uh, and so it's it's that's what I enjoy enjoy really enjoyed is is getting creative, thinking about the partnership. How do we exchange value? And it wasn't always about having to find more money because I can guarantee you, as much as the Coca Cola company is a big company. And everybody thinks we had a printing press for money in the basement. Brands like Powery, brands like Full Throttle, and brands like Mellow Yellow, you know, that's where we had to be creative. We had to be agile. We had to be, we had to push. Uh, and and I, and oftentimes those are those projects are far more fun to work on uh, than than others that have large budgets that people can sit on and and lean on. And uh, but that's. It's a great part about this, the world of, of sponsorship and, and, and partnership marketing uh, that, that I really enjoy. And, and I know will continue to be uh, how, how, how everybody has to work uh, in that environment because it's, uh, it's, it's more challenging today than it ever was before. Now, it definitely is a challenge. And if you can be creative about it and be open. Yeah, I, I mean, I had a conversation today with a company and they're like, yeah, we, we, we and I'm like, look. We can be as creative and flexible as you can possibly think of. It, the biggest thing is is that we have to do it together. And as long as we're both in the boat and we're both rowing in the right direction, then or in the same direction, we'll be able to get through it. But you have to be creative about it. 
Uh, yeah. And that's the that's the biggest thing about motorsports is, yeah, we want to race. I mean, that's the the byproduct is the racing. The, the the actual product is is the selling and the marketing of it to impact companies and their strategy and be an asset to their team and their toolbox that they're trying to accomplish their tasks and their goals. As you said earlier, you know, how your brands had to go with what the company goals are. I mean, that's a given and that's anybody, whether it's a local family business, a regional growing company or a franchise chain or a blue chip company. Everybody has goals and strategies that they're trying to execute for their job and their evaluations. And you just have to figure out how you can help them do that and if you can be an asset to them then you'll have some success uh in, in the world collectively i agree i agree you know winning winning is uh, is wonderful but it's not everything uh, on the winning on the racetrack i should say um right for 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 a brand for brand sponsors and i you know there are some that it is that it's do or die and everything is baked and steeped in that and uh you know i guess fortunately uh, the the folks that i that i worked for who uh, who mentored me, uh, managed me, you know, re- really inst- instilled upon us. It's there are so many other ways to measure your sponsorship and your partnership. And just because X Y Z team or driver may not be winning, um, that's just that's one element. Uh, but it's the authentic authenticity of that relationship. And if you're true to it, and if you are, you know, and 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 and, and fans and consumers can see through a lot of these things. Um, and the ones that are the, the ones that were the strongest and the longest and held on for us the most, and and probably to today still do, even though I'm I'm removed from from uh, my role for a couple of years. You can tell, uh, and it's it's uh, it's a testimony to the power of of relationships and building relate true and authentic relationships, and knowing if they're true and authentic from the start, um, and then how to how to really nurture that uh, together. And do it together. You know, it's a great point of, of having open dialogue, communication, um, being able to talk about, hey, when things aren't, this is not what our expectation is, um, and this is what our expectation is, and vice versa. For them to look at us and say, hey, I, I would really, I would rather if we could do something like this, this is going to help our program here at XYZ Team or at the league. And uh, that's that's uh, that's so so instrumental in terms of that's what that's why you get you know long running entitlement series relationships and long running relationships in the world of NASCAR and long running relationships in Olympics and on down the line and non long running relationships with a retailer you know a straight you know uh, I was I was born and bred in consumer marketing you know so long before I got involved in sports marketing it was all about you know finding. Building a, a plan and approach and strategy, understanding what the retailer is trying to accomplish, helping with their category growth. Because, you know, if you're helping their category growth, then, yes, your your boat is rising with them. It's your job then to make sure your boat rises faster than the competitors. But, you know, that's, you know, that, that's the heart of what we do. And, and, then, uh, and then I found myself in the world of sports marketing. I said it earlier. Sports marketing is, is consumer marketing. It's brand marketing. It's just done through a different medium of sport. Uh, than it is done through the medium of retailer or the medium of television or the medium of movies or entertainment. It's it really gets to the heart of understanding who the consumer is, how do they think, why are they buying, what are they buying, you know, what drives their their decision making, all those all those factor in. It's just that you know I I, I had the pleasure of doing that through uh, 
through the world of sport, which is uh, it's something I love. Uh, love love sports, but um, and that's why even today I'm doing doing some work with a nonprofit foundation, uh, Sport the Service of Humanity, and it's a it's a it's a foundation that is looking at the power of sport. And I know you've seen that you talked earlier about working uh, with uh, um, uh, on some philanthropy. Sport has this power of pulling people together, of making an emotional connection with them, and you know, by gosh, when it's done well. It, it's powerful. Um, I know you've seen it. I've seen it happen with uh, the Coca-Cola 600 and our relationship with NASCAR and doing things with and for the USO and with and for uh, military families um, around the Coca-Cola 600 and, and otherwise. But you know that that to me, those days were. This is what. This is how sport can really uh, be powerful, and make a difference. And so my work with this nonprofit foundation is: how do you take that power? How do you channel it? And then, how do you reinforce messages that are that can be found in are are found in, in sport of of uh, enlightenment and joy, balance and compassion, uh, inspiration? Those all exist in the world of sport, and they also they also exist in the principles that I would think that I'd be hard pressed to find a human on the face of this earth who cannot believe that it's good to be compassionate, it's good to have joy, it's good to have love, it's good to have enlightenment. Um, and and so how do how do we combine those together uh, with and through the, the the medium of sport and uh, and so that's the, the things I learned having the perch that I had the Coca Cola company for a number of years uh, I'm just trying to find a way if there's a, a way to do that again just do it through a different uh, through a different role. Well, we are all competitors, and with that, we all have to have those certain characteristic traits that that yeah. you mentioned because if we don't we're not you're just not going to make it you know you're you will be a flash in the pan or you'll be or you'll be the conversation right you'll be the you'll be the meme or you'll be the tagline or the punchline um in the world because people will see exactly through you uh for who you are and not necessarily what you should be uh from that standpoint well, well, Ben, I don't, I said, I'd only keep you like 45 minutes and I think I've destroyed that. Um, but I can't, I can't let you go. Right. It's so you said you listen to shows. So, you know, you, your parting shots are is first and foremost, if any of our listeners want to follow you, reach out to you, have any kind of opportunities for mentorship or so forth, where would they go and follow Ben Riling? So uh, my Twitter handle, uh, actually I'm pretty consistent across it, so it should be easy. Uh, everything is Ben J. Uh, my middle initial J is in John. My last name Riling R E I L I N G. So that's the Twitter handle. Um, they can find me on LinkedIn uh, as well. Um, and uh, I got off Facebook. I just got to the point where I, I really don't want to do that anymore. So and then Instagram, but mainly Twitter. You'll probably see me most active on Twitter, um, but LinkedIn and. I welcome the opportunity. Uh, somebody's out there um, trying to find their way in this world of sport and sport marketing. Uh, I've, I've, I've chatted with a number of them through the years. Or if there's somebody who's looking for a recommendation or a suggestion, or just like like you said earlier, uh, maybe bounce something off my head, I'm happy to do that. Uh, I, I, I want to see others succeed, and uh, if I can get back in that way, I can do that. Absolutely. Well, and I appreciate that, sir. Thank you very much, because I, I, I'm sure that our listeners at this point are going, this guy will 
I can reach out to this guy and he, okay, all right. Because again, it, you know, we, the world of marketing and sports marketing and sponsorships and so forth is very challenging. It's a very unique community. And if you don't have the time or find the time to be able to help mentor people as they try to go through their grind of daily, of, of having family, of having life, of trying to race or trying to run a business and they still want to grow, you have to be able to give back. And, and Cam and I had our our goals at the beginning, you know, New Year's resolutions, if you will. And that was one of the biggest ones that, that you know, I stated was that I wanted to be able to give back to people that can't go afford to sit and go through classes for bachelor's degrees and grad schools or seminars and online or whatever the case may be to try to get that foundation to be involved in marketing. And so that if Cam and I or or our guests that we bring on can cut through that a little bit and help them have some more success or or start to have success rather, uh, we wanted to be able to do that. So I appreciate you, uh, offering that out there to, to reach out uh, to you for your experience and advice. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, our parting questions everybody's got to take them before they go you get to send one you get to send one christmas card to anybody in motorsports that's alive or dead who are you sending it to wow one person in motorsports alive or dead that you know that is you know so i'll tell you the first thing that popped in my head was uh dale senior uh never had the chance to meet him but um I, I heard so many wonderful stories about him uh, having worked in, uh, on the on the program at Coca Cola. So I think he he'd probably be the one I'd, I would uh, I would send that card to. Oh, that's not the first time Dale Senior has gotten his name on the scoreboard, especially uh, on our show. Uh, from that standpoint of influence, he's been a big influencer uh, to a lot of people. Uh, it, it would be. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, we're getting ready to, in a couple of weeks, come up on the 20th anniversary of his passing. So uh, it's uh, nice for Daryl Sr. to get a shout out on our podcast again. So that puts him in the lead on the scoreboard with the number of Christmas cards. Our last question for you. This is always the, this is the fun question right here. You get to send one WTF card to anybody in motorsports. Who are you sending it to? <laughs> Oh my gosh! A WTF card to one person in motorsports. Uh, and I promise you, nobody's listening, so you can say whoever you want to. <laughs> that's good. Well, then I, I would tell you, I, I, I might send it to whoever made the decision, whoever made the decision to to walk away from the NHRA. I'll put that one out there. And it has to go to somebody inside the hallways uh, in Atlanta. So uh, that's that's uh, you know as much as I worked there for twenty years, I, I love the people that work there. But still, it's like all right, I'll leave it there. <laughs> so it's addressed to whom it may concern. <laughs> Individual responsible, please report to. <laughs> yeah. It, now, I, but. <laughs> well, yeah, unfortunately, uh, there are some individuals in the halls of actually in Glendora that are are leading our leaders in the clubhouse for the WTF cards. Um, 
we do have some other WTF cards, leaders in the scorehouse or, or in the clubhouse for uh, individuals that have made decisions in regards to sponsors and drivers and teams and so forth. Because, you know, again, uh, it's part of our DNA when it comes to motorsports. We're extremely passionate and loyal individuals. Yeah. Yeah. Even if we don't like you, even if we don't like the brand you drive for, we're still passionate and loyal for our umbrella of motorsports. And we'd want to see no harm done to impact our sport. And so that it, it doesn't matter if we don't, uh, you know, we may not like you as a brand or an individual race team or a racer or whatever the case is. However, we don't want to see any harm done to you, which would take you out of our sport, uh, of any sport of motorsports. So uh, it, it's very unique, and, and, I, and I enjoy that, and, and I like that about the show and the people that come on and they give their WTFs and, and so forth. And that, that's just uh, something that we do that, that I understand gets a few laughs here and there across the country as people listen in. Uh, and so that was good for you to, to throw that out there, sir. I, I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure that we'll get some hate mail at racers and in reference to that and a couple five-star reviews across the board on iTunes, Spotify, uh, and our other platforms. That was awesome. I greatly appreciate that. And so I have to let you go. I've kept you on here way longer than, than what I intended, but I, again, we could continue to do this because when we get individuals on that have the experience and the know-how and insight, I want our listeners to be able to just soak it up. So we're probably going to have to have you back on for a part two. Uh, but before you, before I let you go, I have to tell you, and I know you know him very well, but we had Woody from JEG, Scott Woodruff, on the show a few weeks back, and we, we had the same question with him and said, Woody, you're sitting at the corporate boardroom. The Coughlin family comes in and says, Scott, Woody, we're leaving NHRA drag racing. What do you say? And, and his exact quick, no take a breath response was, that'll be a big mistake because there's nowhere that I can spend $3 million and get $25 million in return. There's nowhere. And, and so you're, you're still your passion three years removed about the fact of of them leaving our sport uh from that from that point of view or that perspective if you will we greatly appreciate that because we think we have a pretty cool sport that we get to participate in uh but at the same time uh i appreciate the impact that you had on the world of motorsports if you will uh from coca-cola corporate over the last 20 years because i'm just a motorsports fan and i just so happen to get to drive a race car so uh Thank you from me to you for your 20 years of impact into our sport. And uh, I hope it's not the last time that I get to talk to you in the near future. Don, I appreciate it very much. Woody is, uh, Woody's outstanding. And uh, he's probably underselling what he's soundly saying, 25 million. <laughs> he's sandbagging. <laughs> like his golf game too, but that's another yeah. conversation. Exactly. Yes, it is. I, pre- well, I appreciate your time. I hope everybody I hope you enjoyed it. And you might get some messages like never have that guy back on again. So uh, we'll be prepared for that as well. You uh, absolutely. Well, you too, sir. Thank you very much. Bye now. Well, there you go, guys. You cannot, you cannot ask for more to come from an individual 
who has been doing the grind in regards to sports marketing, to motorsports marketing, for one of the largest blue chip companies in America. And for for him to take time out to come in, share a little bit of insight. For those of you that are out there, and it's not just the Coke side. You, you heard him mention the word beverage and, and bottlers. You're, you're, you're going to apply those same, you know, characteristics of execution to learn and research for your local company that may be Red Bull or Miller Lite or Anheuser-Busch or whomever it may be that you have the potential to be able to start and, and start your research process and work with them. And, it, and if you're not out there doing something in the community to, to help support the sales, you don't have to have a, a logo on the side of your car to be able to help these companies and allow there to be some sort of transaction between you uh, for community events and parking lots and, and whatever a community may have going on or even in your region. Go be a part of it. Find out. I promise you the impact and the eyeballs that you'll get will start to allow your brand value and your credibility across the board start to climb. And, uh, you know, you heard Ben mention it's not always about winning. We've always told you that on the show that, look, it's about selling and bringing, bringing a solution to the table to help a company or a team or an individual be successful at what they're trying to execute as far as the strategy goes in that year or in year two or year three or so forth. But you have to get in there, roll your sleeves up and, and be giving, right? Dr. Jamie Meyer was on back in the summer. And what did he say? He was like, give a, give a sponsor a free year. And I told you, you know, I'm not a real big fan of giving things away, right? We can't give away everything, but we can give away some things to start, right? It's a dating relationship. So start with it that way. Listen, you know, play this, play the segment back. Listen to, to the advice that Ben gives. He, he, offered up opportunity for you to reach out uh you're obviously cam and i are here at hate mail at racers and rental cars you can send us anything ben's on linked so reach out to him and i wish you all the best i hope that you guys got something out of this episode with with ben and his experience but to wrap it up nothing that we can do on the show would be possible without manscape.com please do not forget valentine's day is coming up Unless you're that guy that gets rid of your significant other during Valentine's Day because you don't want to buy roses and chocolate and dinner. So if that's the case, all right, we get it. But no matter what, drop a hint. Let your loved ones know. Manscaped.com for the perfect package 3.0. Discount code RIRC at checkout. Get the 20% off free shipping and a host of goodies that will be in that bag. So you'll be looking clean come valentine's day and you know that you better take care of your sweetie on valentine's day so that you can go racing on the weekends that being said thank you all very much for tuning in please five star reviews at itunes apple spotify google soundcloud stitcher all the places that you can find us do me another favor drop a line give a shout out we hope to have cam back next week guys we're out of here See ya. Thank you for downloading this episode of Racers and Rental Cars. This episode has been brought to you in part by Streetway Marketing and Media, Voice America for all of your podcasting needs, K&N Air Filters, Manscaped.com, CBDMD, 
Motion Raceworks, and LB Trailer Sales. Be sure to use the RIRC promo code at any of the listed sponsors. We appre- they appreciate your business, and we'll see you next week.